Also from MudhouseMedia.com. Join Patrick McEnroe as he has conversations with incredible guests on his tennis podcast, Holding Court. Share his love of tennis, the tournaments, events, and news with other professional athletes, artists, Hollywood stars, and CEOs. Exclusively on the Mudhouse Media Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tiny's Table. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with skiing legend and Olympian Johnny Mosley. All right. Boom. Great. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. How are you today? Oh, no. Absolutely. Doing, doing really well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right, considering yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little a little tired. We had a we uh, got we got some buddies that are moving to Texas, and so we we uh, took the, they really wanted to go fishing, so of course we saved it to the end. So I took them out. Uh, we went crabbing and got some Dungeness crab, and then cooked it up last night and had some had some wine, had a little Sunday night dinner party. So you know how that goes. Oh yeah, I saw your IG, and my mouth started watering already. <laughs> it's oh my god! Oh, Can you ship me some? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, let's do it. You got let's a lot. Thing. I'd be. Wait, I'd was, love to see how you do. I'd love to see how you do crab. That's oh, cool. I mean, you don't have to do anything to crab. That's the best part about it, right? It's just that's true. That's true. Either make some aioli or melt some butter, and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's wow. all we did. Just uh, melt it. I know. Uh, my buddy came o- came over and we're like, "Oh, you got to put salt in the pot." And uh, but my my and I said, "Don't we have to put bay leaves or something?" And my wife's like, "No, you don't do anything. Just cook it, <laughs> eat it. Just put them in there." <laughs> Yummy. Yeah. Where'd you go? Uh, just off of, just out the Golden Gate and kind of, uh, we put our first pots like around Muir Beach, uh-huh. um, kind of on the the northern side. And then you sort of, we strung them along, sort of going from shallower to deeper and uh, all the way up to kind of Bolinas in that area. Wow. And how long yeah. did that take to, how many, and how many did you get? Well, you know, it depends on the, uh, it depends on the, you can, so what we did was we ran in the pots out the night before or the day before mm-hmm. and dropped them. Mm. And then we went home and then went back out the next day. Mm. Okay. And so to go drop the pots takes probably, you know, it just depends on the weather and the conditions and uh, probably takes two and a half hours or so, three hours, it all depends. And then we went out and picked them up. Um, it takes about 45 to get to the first pot, and then you got to find it, and then you pick it up, and kids pull them in. And then uh, the first two pots were empty. The third pot had um, maybe 10 crab in it, and then the, then the, the fourth pot was missing, and then the fifth pot was had a couple crab in it. So then we and the last one didn't have any. So then we rebated the pots and put them put two back in the spot that had the you know, had a lot of crab mm-hmm. and then we went out deeper to like a hundred feet of water because we'd heard people were, were getting, you know, crab quickly out there. So then we rebated and dropped those pots and then you go and kill some time. So we went and tried to catch some rockfish, which was relatively unsuccessful, <laughs> but we got one and then we went back and picked up the pots and got a, you know, handful more crab, maybe, maybe eight or nine more crab. Wow. And so how do you secure the pots and how do you know, like, Nobody else is going to take them. How does that work? Well, that's a funny you bring that up um, because there's been a lot of apparently there's been a lot of poaching huh. um, of of crab. I'm on a tech chain with a bunch of fishermen, and they're all complaining that their pots have been poached. Interesting. Now, so people will go out and you know you know maybe they missing they're missing their pot, so they just pull any pot, take the crab, and go home since they've gone all the way out there. Hmm. There's uh, also some some, you know, speculation that the commercial crab fishermen, because they've been delayed due to the whales, are bad. So they're kind of just taking people's crab or something like that. It's all rumor. Most of the time, I think when people say they're getting poached, it's because they didn't get any crab and they need an excuse. <laughs> wow. Um, but you, you basically, your buoy identifies your pot. So oh. you have this buoy. Okay. And people get really, you know, 
fancy with their buoys and they, they paint them different colors. And but you're you're supposed to have your uh, an identification number on there, which you write with a sharpie, and it's your corresponds with your fishing license. And uh, so you need to got it. Okay. You pull your pot and then you check the ID, and uh-huh. uh, if it's not if it's not yours, or you check the buoy and then you don't touch the pot. So got it. There should be a system, but I did have a buddy who put zip ties on his pot, and the zip ties were cut. So it is true there is some poaching going on. Wow, wow, interesting. Yeah. People are hungry. What what's going on with the whales? Uh, so the humpback whales, you know, they they uh, they hang out in that area and they they feed this time of year. Mm-hmm. And typically they leave by the time crab season happens. But you know, they've been staying longer and longer, and they get tangled in the uh, in the crab pot net in the uh, the lines because there's just crab pots everywhere ah. so yeah it's not so bad for the recreation guys like like myself but uh-huh. when the commercial guys get out there you know they're putting down hundreds of pots everywhere uh-huh. and so there's been a little bit of a, a tussle between the commercial crab fishermen and the uh, humpback whales and right now there's like a pot of 50 hanging out in kind of the grounds and so they're trying to protect them but it's obviously hurting the commercial guys so it's a bit of a struggle Oh, okay. Wow. But it's good for the for us because usually you get about two weeks, <laughs> not even, maybe one week mm-hmm. of of crab fishing until the commercial um, guys get out there. Mm-hmm. And then they, they really, like, deplete the supply quickly. So mm-hmm. you have a harder time getting crab. So it's been, been good for us. Well, d- the demand is high. Now I know I'm going to go get some crab later today. I don't know from where. <laughs> what's well, your, what's your address and coming you over? <laughs> what's that? Yeah, yeah. No, we'll have to do some crab for sure. Yeah, I, I just, I'm from the East Coast, and I've, when I discovered uh, Dungeness crab out here, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is where it's at. You know, I used to be all about lobster, but crab is just so sweet, and it's really good. Yeah, it's funny because uh, one of the things that inspired this little uh, this little uh, crab fest we had last night was the um, the people that uh, we had over were um, were uh, they are blue crab people like from Virginia mm-hmm. that type Maryland, of Maryland you know? yeah and so <laughs> what did they think and so yeah they liked it they loved it they loved it so. Yeah, everyone's got their everyone's got their favorite crab, so it's hard hard to let go of your uh, your home crab, you know. Right, right. So, yeah. but you grew up out here, right? I I know that you were born in Puerto Rico, but when when did you come uh, to the West Coast? Uh, I was pretty young, yeah. so the uh, the. Uh, I was two. Yeah, I'm from. I mean, my my dad's from out here. Oh, okay. Uh, my mom's from the East Coast. Gotcha. So my dad was living in Puerto Rico um, for you know I don't know 10, 10, at least ten years or something like that. He had moved down there for a business, mm. and then um, he met my mom, and then they uh, they uh, moved back here when I was two. So they had three boys and. And uh, I'm the youngest of the three, and we moved back here when I was two. So I really don't remember much before that, obviously. <laughs> got it. Got it. So you, you're pretty much a California boy. Uh, we met when we were doing that commercial after the fires. Um, I don't know if you remember. We passed each other in the green room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were like getting so. our hair done. <laughs> exactly. Hair and makeup. <laughs> or makeup, hair makeup or something. I know. Yeah. Who would have thought that we would have had even more devastation this year? It's just nuts. Yeah. Not so. I know. I know. I know. That was a rough, that Mm. was a really rough period. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the, when the smoke came in and just really, it was hot. It was earlier too. It was like in the summer and it was just, we were closed up on our houses and COVID and the whole nine yards. That was rough. It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. And I know you, like myself, I mean, just loving that area, the food and the wine, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. But we'll come back. We'll do it again. Yeah. What do you, yeah. So what have you been doing during this period to keep yourself uh, busy? Um, well, you got it's, young, been, it's been, huh? You have young kids, right? So you're probably doing some uh, homeschooling. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, so, um, yep, homeschooling has been on the top of the list, and <laughs> monitoring that, and, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, my wife does the lion's share of that, but I get, get involved, um, been coaching some, you know, rec sports as much as, you know, we're allowed to do, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I'm starting to, this the build up to the ski season is I've been, you know, working, I guess, doing, uh, like I, I narrate in the ski in this, uh, annual ski film that comes up called the Warren Miller ski film. Mm, what's um, that about? Uh, it's kind of a, uh, I would call it like, a uh, captures the, the season of skiing the season before. So everything from all over the world, all different types of skiing from mm. big mountain skiing to, you know, freestyle skiing to mm-hmm. just the ski culture, and it kind of puts it all together in like a little bit of a um, maybe kind of a documentary form, I guess, and uh, kind of an annual film that comes out every year that's been going on for seventy some odd years. And, oh, really? Uh, started oh. by a guy named Warren Miller, and I've kind of taken over the narration role and and uh, help get the film going in the fall and do a lot of promotion. So I've been busy doing that. Okay. Via um, Zoom, hosting like you know live red carpets and stuff like that or Mm -hmm. virtual red carpets if you will Um, because we're doing like a live uh, premieres because normally people go to the theater to see this show but now it's you know you're signing up to see it see it live Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, you know ski season is getting is is revving up so I work with a retailer called Peter Glenn that we've been um, you know trying to get people uh, informed about the season and uh and you know, what what to expect in this kind of odd season with COVID restrictions, and, mm-hmm. and we've been kind of making a series of different interviews with different experts in the industry, and uh, you know, uh, trying to get people to sort of make sure they book early and uh, what get the information and the gear they need to know to to, to get out on the mountain this year because I do think people want to kind of get outside. And then I've been podcasting a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit like yourself. Um, I've been getting more into that because I'm around, so I yeah. haven't been home this many days in a row for a long for for a while. And uh, so I, I do a podcast with uh, Sarah Clark, who I'm sure you've run across. Um, mm-hmm. She's the host of this, uh, Sarah and Vinny show, and that's been really fun. All um, right, and it's mostly related to ski related stuff, you know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh-huh. it but it goes off the rails. So I've been doing a bit of that, <laughs> and then just spend a lot of time with the kids you know a lot of a lot of fishing and and yeah. just stuff that we are allowed to do i guess um yeah wow so what will ski season look like then does everybody have to make reservations or um i mean yeah yeah not not everybody um you know it sort of depends on where you're going to go mm-hmm. if you're going to go to tahoe uh and you're, it depends on which mountains you go to but squaw valley for example Alpine, you don't have to make reservations, but it's very, uh, it's highly recommended that mm. you buy your tickets ahead of time because you won't be able to just walk up and, mm-hmm. and ski. And if you wait too long uh, and it happens to be, you know, busy, you could be turned away uh, because there will be limiting capacity. So that's the one thing, the, the one big thing you just got to watch out for is that, you know, they're going to limit capacity for obvious reasons. They got to keep spacing yeah. on the hill and you, you people are, you know, don't have to sit on the chair next to each other. They can be loaded one at a time or two at a time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's going to be kind of, you know, they're going to limit the amount of people that are going to be able to get on the mountain just to reduce the crowd. So, so that's really the only thing you need to know. Otherwise, I think it'll be all right. I'm obviously not going to really be in the lodges. It's going to be a lot of takeout, yeah. um, and all the resorts are kind of scrambling to, you know, create uh, good options for for food and shelter outside. Um, other places like North Star, which is a Vale property, they do require reservations. So you mm-hmm. can reserve like you know seven days, or you have to, you have to basically have reservations to get on the hill. And in both cases, you really should have, you know, you need advanced ticket purchases or season pass really is what's recommended. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Every, I mean, you don't even think about all the things that have to change because of this virus. It's it's wild. Because of the what? Because of the virus. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's, 
you know, it's a, it's a sport that lends itself to this situation. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's winter being inside is not good, but, mm-hmm. but when you're on the hill, I think it's a, you know, you're wearing masks anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I think a lot of people are looking at sort of doing a little more backcountry, a little more hiking around and skiing and, and just getting outside. Um, but it's going to be, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll yeah. be definitely a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite parts of skiing is going to the lodge afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I know. you know, that's the reward, the hot chocolate, the hot toddy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have a... Après ski. Après ski, exactly. I have a very yeah. uh, limited ski background, but, you know, I think you, you don't remember, but you promised me lessons. You know that, right? I have to no. say, like, I skied with Johnny Mosley before I, you know... <laughs> oh, snap. At some point. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm good for it. I know. I remember. I'm good for it. Um, yeah. 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 I just, I, it's a, when did you stop skiing professionally? Um, tell me, tell me a little bit, because a lot of my listeners, they don't know that. I mean, it's a sport that I've enjoyed as a young person. Um, they don't know that I, I know about the sport and they don't know, they might not know about you and your career. So tell me a little bit, give me a little synopsis. Uh, sorry. <laughs> give me a little synopsis you, um, about your, your career in skiing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, just, just side note. I'm, you're really, it's really light, the audio. I don't oh. know if it's light on your end too. Not at all. Not at all. Or... Let me tell my, my producer. Um, can you hear me can now? Can you turn me up? Can you, yeah. Huh? How's this sound now? Uh, it's a little better. Okay. 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 Um, all right. Because uh, oh, I know yeah, you joined little, the, little, the U.S. ski team that, the year you graduated from high school. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's that's much better. Okay. Tell me how it went after that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, my ski career uh, synopsis. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about right. I, I started I started skiing, you know, as a as a, as a really young guy, um, you know, three or four years old in squad, and, and kind of went through the different, you know, little might and might programs and race programs. And, Did and your family ski? Skiing. Is that is that how you got into it? Is it a history in the family of skiing? Yeah, my uh, my dad um, loved to ski. He didn't do it a ton when he was a kid, but when they moved back from Puerto Rico, um, that's you know, he was on a mission to go up there every weekend and mm-hmm. just loaded up the load up the boys and they got, you know, ski leases with other people and just kinda of made it work and he's a good skier but he didn't really want to teach us, so he kinda of gave us a couple lessons and then the uh the, the people who gave us the lessons said, Hey, these kids are good enough, you can put them in the little ski school, the little ski, you know, um, program we have here, which is like an every weekend thing. So he just put us in there and, and then one thing led to another. We we started doing a little bit of racing and then at the time, we're talking mid-80s, so freestyle skiing was starting to kind of bloom. You know, it was on the radar for the Olympics, and there was a newly formed freestyle team, and my older brother was kind of into skateboarding, and so he was like, oh, this is fun. I want to go do that, jump around. And so we uh, we entered a contest, and it went really well, and it was really fun, and so we, we ended up joining the freestyle team. And then one thing led to another, and I kind of became – I just really got into it. Uh, my brother was into it as well. And I started going to like, I went to like a little, uh, drove up to Mount Hood, Oregon in the summer with my brother and went to a summer ski camp. And that kind of like lit the, lit the match. And mm-hmm. uh, so I just started taking more seriously. And I was having success just in the local contests around, around Tahoe. And then I went out to, when I was 15 years old, I went to junior nationals out on the East Coast and I won. And that's everyone under 19. And that kind of really like launched me into the next level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then I went on to the, I was on like the low levels of the U.S. ski team, I guess, you know, the development team. Mm-hmm. By the time I was, I guess, 16 or 17 and I won the NORAM level. And then right as I graduated high school, I, I was put on the World Cup squad. And I got beat pretty good for a few years i did not make the 94 olympics and then i started to sort of buckle down and um, figure some things out and uh and uh started to have some success going into the 1998 olympics wow and where were they in 98 i should know this 98 was uh nagano japan mm. yeah well i i hear that the skiing is amazing over there i have friends actually who snowboard over there they just 
Love it. I was supposed to go to Japan this year, but I didn't because you know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Japan's amazing. Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty. It's being uh, discovered pretty well now for 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 snowboarding and skiing, but uh, it's an amazing place to go um, just to experience the whole. Just the, the whole experience. I mean, they have amazing skiing in a variety of different conditions. You know, you get the t- tons of snow up on the North Island in Hokkaido. And then you kind of have what's called the Japanese Alps, you know, um, down around Nagano in that area, Hakuba. And, but the whole experience is amazing, right? You're, you're, you're skiing. They're really into skiing. They do a great job with their resorts. And then you're staying, you know, sometimes in these ryokans that are, fed by natural hot springs so that you're you know the the, wow. the hot tubs are like actual natural hot springs and you're sleeping on tatami mats and eating um, you know you're in the mountains eating amazing sushi and great food like i, I mm. just it, it's incredible um i really love hanging out over there and i, I feel fortunate that i've had, been able to spend so much time over there freestyle skiing was a you know obviously building up the olympics was very popular and i had uh, clothing company I worked with out of Phoenix. So I was going there in the summer and the winter all the time. I just have a great love for that place. Definitely on the high on the list of places to go. Oh, wow. Um, is that one of your favorite places in the world uh, to ski other than around here or uh, any place yeah, in Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's definitely one of my favorite places. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It's on my, I mean, it's high on my list of places to visit because of the food, obviously. Um, but yeah. I'll have to uh, have to put skiing up there as well. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. you yeah. did that at such a young age, and then you got exposed to, um, you know, that culture at such a young age and, and other places in the world. I mean, do you feel like that... Uh, how did that shape you in your development as a as a person? Would you say all that travel and exposure to other cultures? Yeah, uh, you know it's it's a little bit hard to measure the effect because you kind of you know it was such a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I think it's obviously I think travel in general to different cultures uh, and specifically for me, you know, it, it does. And, I, and now, you know, in the light of having kids um, and, and you know, being, I guess, immersed in, you know, shoulder to shoulder with different, you know, uh, with people who speak different languages mm-hmm. and have different cultures and you're competing against them and, you know, traveling with them and living with them. I mean, it, it really does, uh, you know, it, it it breaks down all those those barriers and it makes you I think going further um, it makes you like love it you know like mm-hmm. I remember uh, mm-hmm. just just the Russians for example they were such like an odd you know for me in the 90s like it was such an odd uh, you know we had so like growing up growing up around here it's like I didn't know any Russians right mm-hmm. and they're they're they were seen as you know the, the Cold War and it's like you know, they have such a, a reputation. And then, you know, I start to see there's this Russian skier who's really good. And I'm, you know, watching him all the time and he's winning and stuff. And then, you know, I there there's there's a couple girls on their team that are really cute. And, I'm like, <laughs> and so, but they don't speak any English, right? There's like almost no association. Mm-hmm. And so over time, though, you know, you start to get to know, uh, I, I found this one kid who spoke English and he was young and he was, you know, we were both, you know, became buddies. And so he kind of introduced me to the whole team and, and I started hanging out with them and, you know, eventually their team kind of fell apart. There was issues and he came and lived with me and, and, mm. and here, and I kind of got him over here and, and, it, and like it, it went, go, went beyond, you know, it, like you really start to learn about, you know, their, their life. And it just, it went, like I said, it went beyond, even just understanding each other. It went to the point where you're like, what do you mean? I love these guys. Like, you know, right? these guys are amazing. Like there's so, so many, so, you know, you just see the human element of everything. And yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, an important, an important thing in life. And I think it does change your perspective when you're kind of, uh, you know, home and especially when you're home for a long time and haven't traveled, you can kind of, you, mm-hmm. you can imagine you're not, you're, you're what I'm thinking about, you know, 
I, mean, I keep using the Russians as an example, but when I'm thinking about the Russians or the Japanese or mm-hmm. anybody, I'm not picturing like what I see on TV. I'm thinking of the people I've interacted with, mm-hmm. right? And then, mm-hmm. and in their raw form, they hadn't, they, they weren't living in America as, you know, Russians or something like that. They were like, you know, going back to the home countries and we'd see them in Europe or see mm-hmm. them in Japan. And, and so you really start to like have a, have a, a firsthand primary, uh, reference to mm-hmm. all these things that you can relate to the rest of the news, I guess, but mm. it's mildly. Yeah, I agree with you. I wish there was more of that, like, inter, uh, interchange of, you know, cultures. I, I went to uh, Russia the first time when I, that was my first trip abroad in 1985. I studied Russian language and literature. Actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, in college. And, you know, later on in life, I was like, you realize how enlightening it is to go and experience another culture and how you find those common denominators with people. And yeah. And then you look at the media and you think like, what are they talking about? I feel like the more we could, you know, cross borders openly, the more we could exchange um, just like basic experiences with people, like you said, uh, competing in sports or having a meal or fishing, whatever we would just discover yeah. how much more we have in common. And um, I know I can't wait to travel again. Um, yeah. And I was so excited to experience Japan this year. Did you pick, uh, did you pick up any language while you were there? No. Seems I like mean, a hard one. No. Yeah. 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 Um, unfortunately, no, I, I did. I did not. I mean, a couple words here and there, but that's a, <laughs> yeah. When That's I, poor, poor on my on my on my side to not do a better job of that or you know put more effort into that. Well, but you spent well, you spent some time in in France too, right? Learning. I your, did. Yeah, I went to cooking school in France. Um, I yeah, I just I liked languages as a way to you know I don't know open doors and get to know people. And I had studied French for years before I decided I wanted to go to cooking school and then I had this opportunity to go in France and that's you know another thing I you know I tell people um because they act like oh was it so hard there and kitchens there but actually it wasn't because you just knew that you were there to work and um people were there to teach you and they love that you have an interest in their culture at all because you know Americans especially when I was there had the reputation of not being interested in other cultures um yeah. And um, it was just mind-blowingly open, you know, mind-opening for me <laughs> and mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd do it again. In a yeah. Well, I noticed on your, I was watching your cooking show. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, you were so much. wrapping the salmon in the collard greens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you, you said it was a French technique and you pronounced it so well. Um, I don't know what the, what's <laughs> papillot, the term. On papillot. Mm-hmm. Papillot. And papillot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely want to, want to try that. We, we do a lot of salmon, so we're going to wrap it and, uh, we've got some. Oh, thank you. Dored from the salmon season. Yeah. That was a yummy show. I mean, the fried <laughs> chicken, those are all my, my that was well, you got to come bring the family into my restaurant at some point. Love to have you here. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, those biscuits. That's I didn't realize. I mean, I think you need to. I, I, why are biscuits are like take the most time of anything? Like I, I didn't realize it was like a twelve step process. <laughs> well, uh, we you know we break it down though. Uh, you could do it. You could do it. I know you could. But if you don't feel like it, you can come over here and I'll bake you some. No, but I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh yeah, biscuit. You just you know mix something up and put it in the thing. But that's definitely something. I mean, I mean, I'd rather cook the chicken than the biscuit. The biscuit look like because you got to cook the bacon and then you got to roll it and you got to wait. Like you know, that's that might that might be beyond my. Yeah, that's definitely something I'll just come to Soul Food to have. So. <laughs> All right, we'll yeah. do it. We can do a barter something. So I'll I'll take care of you. Okay. Um, yeah, it's fun. Now you've done uh, a little bit of television as well, and I saw. I don't remember the show that you hosted SNL, and I'm an SNL junkie. I've got to look that up. How was that for you? Yeah, I think if you're a junkie, like a, a SNL junkie, you might have skipped that one because you were probably like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, why is he hosting Saturday Night Live? There must be some problem with it. But um, yeah, yeah, I hosted Saturday Night Live uh, right around the 2002 Olympics. Wow. Wow. How was that? Was it oh, skip- yeah. Did you win a lot of sketches? Right? 
I was. I was. Oh, I, I couldn't believe how up. many sketches they put me in. I mean, you know, the, they <laughs> they were looking. It was right around. It was February 2002. So they were looking for an Olympian, you mm-hmm. know, to host the show, to cross-promote the Olympics in Salt Lake. And so mm-hmm. they, they stumbled on me somehow. I guess they figured I was willing to, to, you know, stretch myself, which I was. And so they put me in a bunch of skits. I I wore a tutu and did some ballet stuff. I did, uh, they did the never ending dinner roll, which was a take on the trick I did in the 2002 Olympics. Um, we did a, we did a, we did a, um, a parody of that show on MTV that was hot at the time that I used to like too called Dismissed. Do you remember? It would be like, uh, oh, one guy would go out with two girls oh. and then at the end of the date, he'd He'd pick one and say to the other one, "You've been, you're dismissed." Remember that one? No, I don't. Like a, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, it was it was hot for a while. I remember that show, and so I I, I was in that skit. Uh, yeah, we, we we did a bunch of skits. Um, and, did you get? Uh, the- I was surprised at how well they picked up on the nuance of my performance at the Olympics and stuff. I mean, those amazing those writers are amazing. It was an incredible cast. It was who was on Amy it? Poehler and oh, Tina Fey. And, oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, Maya Rudolph, she was amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, in the Dismissed Kid, I was picking between, huh? Oh, I said, I love seeing her now doing Kamala. It's so fun. Oh, Um, my gosh, she's incredible. Yeah, but you were saying, what did you say? Something about... Oh, I was just saying that she was part of the Dismissed Skit. Oh, okay. She was, uh, yeah, she and Amy Poehler, they wrote that one. Oh, wow, lucky you. Jimmy Fallon, we did like like an East Coast, you know... Skit with Jimmy Fallon, Rachel Dratch. That was a good one. Outcast was the guest. I mean, the, uh, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that now. Was I, I feel like I. I don't know if they did that before. I feel like I remember that ski sketch because I love Rachel Dratch too, and I they did that East Coast accent so well. They were so funny. And they, whenever they yeah, exactly. They were. It, it was part of their. I think they had. It was a recurring. Yeah, yeah, theme. yeah. It was the, the, their, Tommy yeah, they were or like, something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That they just adapted for skiing. Wow. So where they like get they fight and then kiss and make exactly, up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Did you um, did you get the bug? Did you like think about pursuing more, or was that sort of uh, your media launch? Because you've done some other stuff, right? You've done commercials. Yeah, yeah, they had to drag me out the door at SNL. I was like, <laughs> I want to stay. No, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Um, well, but but I didn't really have to stay. The um, some so while I was there, they I a casting director from um, from MTV saw me on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and he got a hold of us like the next day he, he found my, my manager who was my coach at the time and said, Hey, you know, we saw him and we have a show in mind for him. Could he come in and audition? So I dragged myself in there the day after, um, and just kind of did some, um, and I was psyched because, um, I didn't know what show it was for. They just was a general audition and did my, my best version of TRL live. So that's what I thought they were auditioning for me, but that's not mm-hmm. what they they had me do so once I did that they hired me for the real world road rules challenge Mm. which is the when they took the real world and they created and they had them compete against the people from the road rules now it's just called the challenge still going so that was my that was my entrance into TV so I started hosting that show Um, I was ready to quit skiing anyway so I just kind of transitioned right from right from Saturday Night Live. I mean, it wasn't long. I think that spring, like a month later, I was in hosting the show in Jamaica and uh, for, for six weeks. And then I went on to host that show for, for a number of years, and then I moved on to some other stuff. But it kind of launched me into lots of different TV stuff and and uh, definitely, you know, taught me how to how to host TV stuff. And uh, Well, you definitely, you have the voice much. for it. You have a natural uh, media voice, in my opinion. So... Um, Thank you. I don't know if you were developing that in high school or just, just kind of came natural to you to to speak in front of the camera and Oh no. Did you do any I mean, media I, training? I'm the furthest furthest guy to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I I cringe when I would hear my voice. I certainly <laughs> wasn't training for it. Um, you know, I did I did do some. I mean, I don't I really didn't have any experience. I I 
I did some dance shows in high school, and then I did some I did some plays, but I had some I had an acting the the like theater guy would always get you know have me audition and get me in there. So I did learn a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I also being on the ski team, you know, you sort of start to they start to train you a little bit, like at least how to answer interview questions, mm-hmm. and circumvent questions, and like you know cheat to the camera like that type of stuff mm-hmm. so you start to learn little basics there mm-hmm. um but i then but you know part of my career uh, you know part of being a freestyle skier there's no prize money so you're really you're really hustling mm-hmm. down sponsors you know mm-hmm. skis boots bindings helmet mm-hmm. goggles you're writing tons of letters to mm-hmm. support your your career and to get on the road to pay for the travel to pay for the contest to pay for training so mm-hmm. you become a little bit of a you know you know and, and the trade-off is usually like hey i'm gonna win the olympics and or, you know down the road i'm gonna win these world cups i'm gonna get exposure for your brand i'm gonna mm-hmm. you know then i'm gonna get press and be promoted and this is why you know you're gonna you know i'm gonna i'm gonna work with you you're gonna support me and pay me mm-hmm. so you start to like you start to try to get creative with, okay, how can I get more exposure so that I can bring value to these sponsors? And for me, I started to kind of see the light with, you know, I was like, I got to be, do some on camera stuff. So I started sending videos of myself on the road in Europe, skiing and some of the the footage from our contests that weren't being covered by, you know, uh, uh, American TV mm-hmm. and just like little reality show stuff, like, you know, shooting my, my roommates and us where we were living and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started sending it to a, another show. It was a ski magazine show produced by GGP over here in Marin. And, um, I started sending this little high eight tape to them of me kind of hosting this little, little tidbit from on the road. <laughs> and they started putting it in their show. So it would be, it was like a two minute, you know, two minute little piece of their half hour show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that kind of got me started. And so I started to work on the camera. Well, then when I won the Olympics, they said, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? I said, well, I would like you to have a show. And they said, great. The, the host is done. You want this show. So then I started hosting that show. Wow. And that was really educational because all of a sudden I was on the road. I had a producer, a cameraman. It was a very, you know, tight budget, small show. Mm-hmm. But he was like my, you know, he really taught me a lot of, you know, just basic skills, you know, how to be on camera and stuff like that. So it helped because by the time I got that Saturday Night Live gig and then got, you know, on 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 the MTV show, I had I had some I had some hours under me. So mm-hmm. it it worked out pretty well, um, and uh, it definitely was a nice transition because you know you can't I can't do my my sport. Well, yeah, it's for, it's for a young man. Right, right. <laughs> um, well, so. that's so What a great story, though. It's like, it just shows that, you know, yes, it takes talent. Obviously, you have talent and hard work, but hustle, you know? I mean, a lot of uh, people would don't know about that part, you know? You just, like, and you took a lot of um, initiative to create opportunities for yourself. That's just, that's great. It's inspiring. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think you're right. I think it, you know, you kind of, and I think you're obviously the same, same, same way. It's like you, you have something, but then there's the other part of it is you, you know, you kind of have to, you have to sell it a little bit and, and think of different ways where you fit in in different pieces. And, That's right. And what makes sense, you know, you kind of have to, you know, because it's, and so, yeah, and, and, I, and I think what, I enjoy that. Yeah. I've always enjoyed that process too, mm-hmm. you know, of, of seeing, seeing what I can make and seeing what I can do. It keeps me, keeps me busy. Yeah. You never know what it's going to look like. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You, you could say like, Oh, I want to, you know, be this you know world champion skier and do this, you know, and own a shop. But like, would you ever have thought that, you know, in high school, especially that you'd be hosting Saturday Night Live, like <laughs> that, I'm just blown no, away by that. You I know, mean, those kind of opportunities no. that present themselves, and it's just all about staying open and agile, um, and not just you know physically, but you know just mentally. And um, it's great. I love it. Yeah. No, I think agile is a good word. So, Definitely. yeah, what, so what's next? What's down the road for you? What, um, 
What are your, you know, aspirations at this point? Well, this this season is looking, you know, very interesting. So sort of kind of navigating what this winter is going to look like. Um, I I think it's going to be, you know, a little bit odd in that I'm not going to be doing all my traditional, uh, you know, I guess engagements, if you will, with all mm-hmm. the different uh, people I work with typically over the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, like Visit California, for example. You know, mm-hmm. I love that was one of my, my favorite things to do was our, we did the, uh, my Johnny Moses Wildest Dream series, which mm-hmm. was, you know, we would explore different parts of California and do lots of different, um, you know, uh, activities and, you know, kind of high action sports. And, uh, but, you know, all that stuff's on hold right now. So my, my kind of, um, my, my theory right now or my, my sort of, uh, goals is to definitely work as much as I can, but I'm also trying to see if I can take advantage of this time right now. Um, while I'm not traveling, I've got, you know, I'm seeing it as like a, a great opportunity to actually be around. I mean, my winters typically consist of me being home for, you know, two, two days a month. So it's wow. a pretty rugged, oh, wow. rugged yeah. schedule. And yeah. so I am, you know, much as I'm want to, want to continue to, to, to work and all that stuff for the, you know, and, and keep everything going with, with my partners, I'm looking forward to sort of, you know, spending some time with my kids and mm-hmm. sort of like digging into that. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that, you know, we're going to come out of this thing and, and things are going to go back into you know, full, full motion quickly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of trying not to get myself too wrapped up and trying to create, you know, something, you know, immediately, uh, mm-hmm. and see, and see if I can sort of take advantage at least the next couple months here, um, and kind of dig in with, with the kids. I, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my theory right now. That's my goal right now. Um, I, I take it they're skiers. They're skiers, so yeah, it would consist a lot of you know skiing with them and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which which is great, and uh, and and that's it. And then we'll see what what kind of happens on the other side of this thing. I mean, part of it too is going to be, you know, is just seeing how this how this all goes. I mean, I don't yeah, that's, that's I know it right now, but we, but then and then just get back to get back to my to the usual business of life. Yeah, yeah. What about don't... you? We don't know. Sounds like um, you're shooting. Sounds like you're shooting all kinds of stuff. Are you shooting? Yeah. Your, how often do you shoot your show? Well, the show we did, you know, TV. You just you do it all at once. We did seven episodes yeah. in a week, um, and that was considered the first season, a pilot season. And fingers crossed, knock on wood, I'll get picked up. I'll know probably in a month or so if we'll do a second season. And just trying to keep the podcast going. I'm going to do finish this second season of the podcast, and then take a little break. I'm working on a cookbook. I just sold my third cookbook, so I've got to write it now. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's called California Soul. So I'm, you know, newer to California, um, 20 years almost, but it just really has influenced my cooking. And I just, I love this state. And um, so that I'm working on that. And then I've got to you know, figure out how to keep this restaurant going. I mean, that's going to be the biggest challenge. And, um, you know, the working with my colleagues to figure out how to, um, I don't know, just rework this, this whole system, this food system. It's just not working, you know, with not even, even before COVID, you know, with the way workers are paid and um, the rents and, you know, all the stuff and the food distribution system and the commodity meats, you know, we, it's just, that's a lot. <laughs> so I'm just trying yeah. to stay involved and see if I can be impactful in any way that I can. Um, Cause it's just, this is what I do. I mean, I love my work. I love this industry. I love feeding people, but it's not sustainable in its current form as a, you know, a viable business. So, um, I've got a, a bunch of different, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a bunch of different opportunities outside the restaurant to keep me going too. But, you know, I just, 
I don't know. It's there's so much. Unknown. Well, I love the show. Yeah. I was very entertaining. And, um, Thank and, you. Uh, hopefully that keeps keeps the yeah keeps going. I, I, yeah, I'm you know you have to. to you have to piece it all. Oh, thank you. You know, though, like you have to piece it all together. You can't just live on television because <laughs> it's not um, yeah. it's not a given. And, you know, so like yourself, it's like you've got to do a couple different things um, to, to build up your livelihood. But that's what I think it makes it interesting for me. Um, I don't know about you, but I kind of like having the variety as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit more about your food, um, you know, your your life in food. Like, do you, you mentioned you might try the fried chicken. Do you cook for your family at home? Who's the cook in the family? My wife is definitely primarily uh, the cook in the family, and she's excellent. Um, uh, my, I've, I've been, I've been, my repertoire has been growing a bit. Um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, kind of off the top of the show, a lot of it is about sort of, I guess what my son would call catch and cook. So, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we do a lot of, we do, you know, so when it comes to that, I, I kind of, you know, that's, that's more of my role, right? My, my kids get out there. We've been, uh, we catch a lot of halibut. And so, uh, I've been making some pretty good ceviche. We can, you oh. know, make that right off, right off the fish, which nice. is one of my, one of my favorites. Um, and, uh, you know, getting, getting pretty, pretty decent at that. And then we also do a nice little, uh, kind of panko crusted, uh, sort of fried, fried fish, if you will, put mm-hmm. a little bit of oil. So that's one of our favorites. And then, um, and then we catch some salmon when the season is on. So I've been kind of figuring out my salmon game there. I've got this <laughs> big, uh, I got this big Cajun, uh, you know, pot boiler, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that we had to like, you know, illegally, you know, get sent across state lines that, you know, sits <laughs> on the ground and you can boil a huge pot. Mm. Um, but I've been using it with a big cast iron skillet on it and you just put like a little bit of, a little bit of oil in there and kind mm-hmm. of fry the salmon. And if you do that inside, it's a mess. So it's nice to do it outside. So I've been kind of messing around with my, my salmon recipe, although I've, and then, uh, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in yours. I'm going to definitely want to do that wrapped kind of steamed, um, steamed, steamed salmon. So, yeah, I guess when it comes to that, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, on, on the basics, obviously the crab is, 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 uh, pretty simple to do, but I've got some stuff I want to work on. I've been like, uh, roasting the crab after you cook it in the, in the, in the oven. I've done that a couple of times. So get well, better that makes- at that. That makes sense. I yeah. mean, you're an outdoorsman, so you're you get your food uh, the the original way. And I love that you're exposing your kids to that. I what I find is so many kids don't know where their food comes from, and to have that experience of catching, you know, your food and preparing it from that state, it's just such a gift. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. They uh, they've really started to take to it, um, kind of on, on their own. I mean, it helps that my wife is is and do it so they and then they they watch a lot of uh, youtube videos on, on cooking and <laughs> mm-hmm. fish and it, it's amazing what they come up with my, my older son does a really mean guac he does uh you know he can do all the ceviche and the panko stuff we talked about and uh he's uh he's into it and uh so yeah no i, I find it to be a very very kind of healthy healthy uh um interest and uh and it's, it's nice. Yeah. It's wonderful. Wow. Well, Johnny, I'm so glad we got to catch up for this little bit here. Um, I hope we can do it again sometime. And, you know, I'd love to have you at the restaurant for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll, I'll uh, give you a heads up and uh, got to get over there and try some of those biscuits. I mean, that's, <laughs> those, are, those are amazing. And, of course, the fried chicken. I mean, fried chicken is you know, it's, 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 it's on everyone's menu It's right never now. going it's out of style. Up, it? Yeah, it's never going huh? out of style is what I say. And everybody's got their own version now, which it's fine with me. You know, there's there's plenty to go around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good. You yeah. take good care of yourself. And, you know, I wish you a, a great winter season. And um, look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise. Take care, Tanya. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Tanya's Table is a Mudhouse Media Production. 
Original music by Coffee Brown. Music is produced by Coffee Brown and Julie Wolf. Tanya's Table Podcast is produced by Brand AOK. Like what you're hearing? Download and subscribe to all of our shows at mudhousemedia.com.